Welcome to Trilor Talk. I'm Scott Glovsky, and I'm your host for this podcast where we speak with some of the best trial lawyers in the United States. We simply have great lawyers, tell great stories from cases that had a profound impact on them. So let's get started. very happy to be sitting with a wonderful lawyer, a talented, courageous, tough, sensitive, and creative trial lawyer, Nancy Eiler, who practices in Ohio and is truly one of my mentors and someone I've learned so much from. Nancy, thanks for being with us. Love to be with you, Scott. Thank you so much for that kind introduction. Can you share with us a story of a case that had a profound impact on you? I would love to. I had the privilege of representing a young mother whose two children were the victims of lead-based poisoning. Uh, Their public housing unit had lead-based point paint in it. And despite her repeated request to management of the peeling paint um, actually flaking down into uh, onto the stove and to the countertops, um, they would not repair her unit. And eventually her both of her daughters tested high for lead in their bloodstream and uh, testing showed that both of them suffered brain damage as a result of that. When I met this young woman, um, I was so impressed with what, how strong she was and what an advocate she was for her children. And even though the case had um, some real legal obstacles to it, it was hard to say no to her. She had, despite not completing high school, she had an incredible sense of justice for her children. And um, she had, and was really stood up to herself, up for herself to the uh, housing authorities. You know, the managers who kind of tried to brush her off saying, you know, it's not a big deal, we'll get it repaired. And eventually she took a um, video camera and went through the unit and videotaped the damage that, uh, and the danger that uh, her daughters had experienced. So how did you approach discovering the story of the case? Well, I've, after talking to her, she, I knew that, it was, that her deposition was going to be a real challenge for her. Um, they had, uh, the defense attorney was a, quote, nice guy, and I knew that he would try to uh, talk to her in such a way that um, you know, she would see him as a friend. And though, um, so I worked with her extensively uh, to get her ready for her deposition. And, um, to, and we worked hard, and she, and she was very open to it. And um, I think it gave her the confidence um, not only to give a deposition, but at some point we um, went to mediation, private mediation in the case. And um, I think as I watched her enter the mediation 
entered the the office, you know, it was a a huge uh, high rise, you know, big defense law firm, and walked into the conference room, and you know, it's a mahogany table, you know, it looks like almost glass. It's so shiny, and you know, there's 24, you know, uh, leather chairs around the table. All, of course, meant to be very intimidating to my client. You know, this was only a uh, a room that she would only be invited to maybe clean or vacuum, you know, in another instance. But uh, here she was standing up for her children and for herself, you know, in a very intimidating environment. And um, I learned a lot from her that day. Tell me more about that. Well, I think watching her um, bear witness to her children's story and her efforts was really inspiring to me. And I was also watched her uh, looking at watched her looking at um, the defense attorney as I was telling her story. And I was struck by how much bearing witness to her efforts to protect her children the trust that she had in this authority who was supposed to be taking care of her unit, you know, as, um, and then that sense of betrayal, you know, that, that uh, you know, the housing authority was supposed to provide a safe environment for her and her children, and um, knowing that they, their failures to repair the unit, you know, is going to cause such pain and suffering to her children. Uh, was really something. And how did you work with her to prepare her for the deposition and for the mediation? Well, I think the my biggest concern was that um, she would see these, uh, that she would shut down, that she would not be able to tell her story. And I thought it was important for her to speak at the mediation about the impact that this was having on her and her children. And I felt as though she would be intimidating, intimidated by the setting and certainly the people involved because she um, you know, had, didn't graduate from high school, that these were professional people, um, and she was not. So um, I worked with her a lot with reversing roles with um, the defense attorney and also herself and, and to, to explore her biggest fears um, about the questions she would be asked and, and things that she would be asked about. Can you... Give us a piece of that through reversing roles with your client. Well, I think we, I asked her what, you know, Tamar, what would be your biggest, what's the, the question that you're most afraid of? And she said, well, I'm afraid they're going to blame me that I should have done more, that I should have moved out, you know, that I should have, um, maybe moved in with my mother and that my, you know, that the fact that I didn't do enough was the reason my children were harmed. So it was, it was working with her, not even the questions being asked, but just getting her comfortable. And I, and I, we actually went to, uh, she was comfortable in my office, but I went to somebody else's office to try to, um, sensitize her to, um, being able to tell her story, um, anywhere. So what happened next in the story? Well, I think the um, 
And I think uh, something I did mention before, I think she initially had a hard time trusting me. And that's something that we had to, I mean, I had to earn her trust. Um, And um, that took some time. How did you do that? Well, I think, uh, once again, uh, I think being a good listener really helped. You know, I try not to sit across, you know, I learned a lot and still learn a lot from that listening exercise that, uh, that we teach at the college. You know, I always try to sit um, on the same side of the table as my client as opposed to across the, you know, I try not to um, interview client or to speak to clients in my uh, office, you know, my desk, which is all kind of imposing and have them sitting across from it. So I try to make, set the environment for a, li- a good listening um, in such a way where I'm side by side and that I really try to take my time and really listen to what's being said. And of course, we know that sometimes what's not being said is is the most powerful thing. So what happened next? Well, I think the um, at the mediation, we um, she sat and, and, and told her story in such a way that I think it gave her a kind of experience that she's never had before, just to stand up for herself and to stand up for her children um, against, you know, professional peoples and corporations in, in, in a setting that, that, was not, that she was not comfortable in, I think gave her um, a sense of integrity and, um, and also, I think, went a long way to... Um, make her understand that it, that it wasn't her fault of what happened to her children. And I was really inspired by her courage to stand up for her children, not just you know in the years before the lawsuit was filed, but also throughout the lawsuit, because it was certainly a very, you know, they had subpoenaed her records from prior employment, I mean, stuff that had really nothing to do with the case, all in an effort to really intimidate her. And I was... As I was watching her tell her story in this, uh, you know, high-rise office building and at this big mahogany table, I, I was really inspired by her courage, and really, um, it also taught me the power of bearing witness to someone's story, and um, I think she gained a lot of um, pride and sense that she did take care of her family. So those were things that, that I hadn't really anticipated. Um, when you bring a lawsuit, sometimes you, you, you think about the result um, in terms of dollars and cents and um, how, your li- your, how the children's lives would be changed. But I didn't really factor in um, how le- her life would be changed and how her confidence in her self as a mother and as a, and as a protector had really been restored. And this sense of empowering her and fighting for her and having her story witnessed, this strength for this fight, where does that come from in Nancy Eiler? Oh, well, that's, well, um, we're sitting out here in Wyoming, and a lot of that strength comes from being out here. And from also from the pleasure and privilege I have with uh, Getting to know people like yourself and, and, and working in, in collaboration, it, it, uh, 
not just the trial lawyers college, but at, at regionals and those kinds of things. I mean, or local working groups. I mean, to be to to um, be able to collaborate and create with like-minded lawyers continues to inspire me. Let's, let's go a, a, a step deeper, a, a chair back, as we say. Where does this come from? Well, I think it, it uh, comes from that need to matter, to be seen, you know, to make a difference. Um, you know, like my client made a difference in her um, family's life, in her daughter's lives. You know, I strive to make a difference um, in my clients' lives and, and certainly um, uh, and hopefully improve some of the systems, whether it be in a nursing home or in, uh, you know, in this particular case of public housing. What are the greatest gifts that you've received through your work? Well, I think, once again, making a difference. I mean, I have had, and I suspect a lot of my colleagues have had the experience where after a case has been successfully concluded that I've had risk managers come up to me and say, and come up to my clients and say, things have changed as a result of this lawsuit. We do things differently now. And that is not only inspiring to my clients, but also myself. How do you deal with the pain of losing? Well, I, you know, that is, a, that is the blessing and the curse of this profession that we've chosen. I mean, you can do everything right and lose. And it's those losses that we all carry around and um, put, take out and reexamine and, you know, uh, think what if things were different. But I think that it's um, the recognition that if I don't, that I can only control so much. And sometimes I cannot control the outcome. Um, but certainly going back to what I said earlier, sometimes having a, your story told in such a way that has spoken the, your truth, in, whether it's a courtroom or at a deposition, that is a gift to a client that sometimes they don't realize until after it's done. But to have somebody stand up for them can really be inspiring. And you teach trial lawyers all over the country and give a tremendous amount of your time to helping others. Where does that come from, that caring? Well, I guess, you know, um, it's a privilege. I mean, this, this profession and the work that we do is, is constantly in motion. And um, it allows me to be creative. It allows me to be intellectual. It allows to me um, um, to really feel like I'm making a difference. So, um, but it's, it's, it can be really harsh. It can, it can suck the soul out of you sometimes because you care so much. But um, I think when I talk to other people here and uh, realize they're going through the same things and they have the same struggles and the, string, the same uh, losses, um, it's inspiring. You're a phenomenal listener, and you go out of your way to make sure that other people around you feel heard, feel that they matter, and feel that they're significant. Where does that come from? 
Well, I think it's, it's certainly, it's learned. I, I think that I've realized that um, most people know what they need to do. Um, and I think honoring the wisdom within each other um, can be the greatest gift. And what advice do you have for other people, other lawyers out there who are struggling with the stress of the job, struggling with not feeling good enough, and so focused on themselves, quite frankly, that they're not able to look beyond themselves and really listen and connect with other people. What advice do you have for folks like that? Well, I think self-care and and realizing how much this work can take out of us is is really an important recognition. So I... um, try to do that myself. I try to model that for my friends and my, and my kids and my colleagues. Um, I try to have a hobby. Sometimes it's, it's not always easy, but, um, I try to, um, find some kind of creative outlet at some point to feed my soul a bit. Um, that is not like my work. And I am, um, so privileged to have so many close friends and colleagues. So I reach out a lot and, um, um, share my experiences and, and ask for others to share theirs back. And, and sometimes I, I find that I'm really not um, all, what I'm experiencing isn't all that unique, that um, lawyers who I admire and, and look up to are struggling with the same thing, and, and that really helps. What type of creative outlets do you, do you use? Well, I um, was just privileged enough to... Um, work at um, grad one and um, we did some dancing there which is something I've always wanted to do and probably um, and I found that that was really something of interest to me so I'm now looking for a modern dance class to um, to be part of I've struggled with taking pictures over the years I joke that I've taken about 5,000 pictures and printed out about two but I'm hoping that will change um, but just finding something and I don't necessarily feel like I I'm looking for perfection in my hobby, but I am looking for something different than what I do every day. What advice do you have for young lawyers out there who are just starting out, or maybe not starting out, but want to get better and grow? Well, I think that the trial lawyers college has made all the difference in my career, not only in my career, but my personal growth. The message that it all begins with you, I think, is a message that really resonates with me. I think to honor your own uniqueness and wisdom within yourself and to apply that to this great profession is really something. And I would encourage young lawyers to um, to look beyond the elements of a case or the, uh, the business part of the practice, which can take so much out of you, and, in, and enjoy your craft and find the way that you can make it uniquely yours. Well, Nancy, I want to thank you for not only guiding me and teaching me so much and teaching lawyers around the country for many years, but for being a phenomenal lawyer, for helping your clients, for changing the nursing home industry to make it safer, and finally, for taking the time to share your wisdom with us. 
Well, Scott, I, I love these podcasts. I listen to all of them. So to be asked to participate has been a great pleasure of mine. And I thank you for your friendship and this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today for Trial Lawyer Talk. If you like the show, I'd really appreciate it if you could give us a good review on iTunes, and I'd love to get your feedback. You can reach me at www.scottglovsky.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-G-L-O-V-S-K-Y.com. And I'd love to hear your feedback. You can also check out the book that I published called Fighting Health Insurance Denials, A Primer for Lawyers. That's on Amazon. Uh, I put the book together based on 20 years of suing health insurance companies for denying medical care to people, and it provides a general outline of how to fight health insurance denials. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you in the next episode.